Turn in your Bibles to Psalms chapter number 90 tonight. Psalms chapter number 90. Psalms chapter number 90. And I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Psalms chapter 90, verse number 1. The Bible says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever Thou hadst formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. Thou turnest man to destruction, and sayest, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. Thou carriest them away as with a flood. They are as asleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth, and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are are three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for the house of God. I'm thankful I have a church family and a place I can come and worship you and enjoy you, Lord, and and a place where we can gather together, praise and exalt you, give you preeminence in this congregation, but also in our lives. Lord, what a precious thing that it is. And I'm just so thankful to be here tonight. I pray, Lord, that as you're in this place, that you'd have perfect liberty to work and to move in our hearts. Lord, that we'd not offer even an ounce of resistance against what you desire for us. Lord, you'll make known your will to us as the word of God is preached, and as the spirit of God moves and works. And I'm mindful that it's our responsibility to respond in obedience. So I pray that you'd help us to be obedient tonight to the Word of God. May you get glory out of that obedience. Lord, we love you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to notice with me in particular verse number 12 and their exhortation that's given by Moses here in Psalms chapter number 90 for all of us as individuals. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. I want to preach to you on the thought tonight, teach us to number our days. I'll tell you that uh, great delusion is entertained and great destruction is courted when we forget that we are finite individuals. When we forget that we live a span in this world, one day we'll leave this world and meet a just God and have to answer for the way that we've lived our lives. Much of what has happened in society has happened because as men have bought into the lie of godlessness, they have been convinced and taught that they'll never give an account for the way that they've lived. And people live that way. They behave that way as though they'll never have to answer for what they have done and what they're doing in life. But I'm here to inform you we're all going to have to give an account one day. And we do not know when that moment may be that we leave this life for the next life. But we do know that wisdom would suggest to us that if we have prudence in our attitude and disposition, 
it would just make sense to make sure that we have a sober appreciation of how quickly that can happen and of what that would mean for us, where we're at, and how we're living. When I read this passage of Scripture, I am keenly aware of the deep connection between the idea of numbering our days, and we'll talk about what that means later in the message, but the idea of numbering our days and applying our hearts unto wisdom. I think that probably for me, maybe not for you, uh, but possibly for you as well, I've read this verse so many times that it's easy to take that as a given thought, as though it's just obvious, as though the connection between the two ideas of, of a, an awareness of our mortality and of the brevity of our life is just synonymous with the idea of applying our hearts to wisdom. But let's just sort of reverse engineer that a moment and ask this simple question. What does numbering our days have to do with the idea of wisdom? Now, first we would say, what is wisdom? Well, wisdom, I would uh, define wisdom as godly knowledge applied in a person's heart and in a person's life. In other words, it's not just a head knowledge, but it's a head knowledge that gets down deep into the heart and causes us to behave and conduct ourselves in a biblical manner. No person can claim wisdom whose life is out of line with the authority of the Word of God. We've got to have a right attitude about God's Word if we're to have wisdom in our life because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. It is to fear the Lord, in other words, to rightly appreciate and reverence Him and to respond in a reverential manner, giving Him the right of way and the governance of your life. So what then does numbering our days have to do with that idea of wisdom. Why well, note three things before we preach our message? Number one tonight, I would say that numbering our days is the prerequisite of wisdom. In other words, if you don't have a right perspective on life, the brevity of it, the importance of it, and the fragility of your life, then you won't apply your heart unto wisdom. We see this in force around us in the world all the time where men, because they believe they are uh, eternal in their, in their body, they believe they uh, are uh, uh, invincible in their health, they never stop and consider and weigh the fact that they'll one day have to stand before God. You know what Solomon said about the funeral home? He said it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. said that when a man goes to the house of mourning, he stops and considers his way. And I'm afraid that living in a day of seeming medical miracles, living in a day where it seems and we're promised that we'll just live forever, that they can hook us up to enough machines, fill us full of enough medicine, and somehow they'll keep us going forever. I'll tell you this, hard as life is even at 36, I don't know why I'd want to, amen? But with this uh, sort of perspective that we're just going to live eternity, uh, eternally uh, in this body, uh, live indefinitely in this, in this body and in this life, it's robbed men of the sober awareness of how important it is that we live a life that pleases God. We saw this, I think, uh, I think we saw this in force during the uh, days of uh, the COVID epidemic, pandemic, whatever they want to define it at. Definitions don't even matter anymore. They just change them, whatever. But uh, during the COVID days, whatever we want to describe that as, I will tell you that I think there was a shock to the collective conscience at the prospect, mind you, the prospect of man's mortality. People would say this, they'd say, well, I might die. 
And I, I don't, I'm not making light of anything. I, the, and it's tragic people that have died of any sickness. doesn't matter what you call it. But it was kind of like when people started saying, you know, when it all broke out, people said, we better start washing our hands. And I remember thinking, you weren't washing your hands? <laughs> Man, that's gross. <laughs> no wonder I get sick all the time. Amen. We better start washing our hands. Oh, my. And it was the same thing. People said, well, I might die. And what that revealed was that somewhere on some psychological level, men had been convinced that they wouldn't die. But the reality is this. If the Lord tarries His coming, we're all going to die. It doesn't matter who you are. And so you will not apply your heart to wisdom until you first recognize the finite nature of life and the fragility of the life that you have. I'd say it's the prerequisite of wisdom. But then I'd say, number two, it is the path to wisdom. You remember what we quoted a moment ago in the book of Psalms, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In other words, if we want to seek to have wisdom in our life, the very first step we can take is having a biblical perspective on life and on the nature of our situation within life. The reason men fear the Lord is because they know they're going to have to face Him one day. Uh, that's healthy. That's not unhealthy. There's a whole bunch of things that we just in our modern society have relegated to being somehow unhealthy or unfair or unseemly. But it is, it is perfectly appropriate for men to fear the fact that they have to meet the Lord one day. And I'm a, I understand that that word fear in the context there in the book of Proverbs is dealing with the idea of reverence. But I will tell you this, that reverence is not wholly robbed of the concept of fear in and of itself. And I think that people, when they lose the concept that, hey, I'm really going to stand before God one day, then they lose their God consciousness in the way that they live. But if you want to have a life that is given unto wisdom, the very first step is recognizing that everything in your life is one day you're going to have to give an account for. It's going to be scrutinized one day. You're going to have to answer for everything that you've done. And so numbering our days is the path to wisdom. You say, preacher, I want to be a wise person. Well, the first thing you can do is learn real clear and real solid just how short and fragile life is and the fact that you at any moment could leave this life and have to face God. I think it's the prerequisite to wisdom. I'd say it's the path to wisdom. But then I would say this, that numbering our days is the practice of wisdom. Now, I would not say it's the extent of wisdom. I think there's more to wisdom than simply numbering our days. But I'll say, I'll tell you this, it is a wise thing to number your days. It is an exercise in wisdom for you to number your days. I, I encourage you tonight in this thought, everybody in this room can practice wisdom this evening if we'll heed the warning of the Word of God. Every one of us in this room can leave here wiser than when we came in and not just because you had the privilege of listening to me. Amen but because you have applied the Word of God in your life. And I'll tell you this, man, every time you apply the Bible in your life, it will make you a wiser person. A wiser person. You see, you don't have to be smart to be wise. You just have to be obedient. You don't have to be smart to be wise. You just have to be obedient. Some of the wisest men that I've known in my life were not particularly educated. They were not particularly luminous in their worldview. They didn't really have a, an eclectic, uh, you know, sampling of life experiences. But they feared the Lord and they were obedient to the Word of God. And so somehow they navigated life. We know it's not somehow. We know how. 
But saying tongue-in-cheek in the world's perspective, somehow they navigated life and died happy and content and with peace in their hearts. Well, how'd that happen? It wasn't because they were educated into wisdom. We understand this instinctively when we look at society. Some of the dumbest people in the world are some of the most educated. Now, that does not mean that education produces stupidity. Uh, but it does mean that those two things are not mutually exclusive of each other. You can have all the education in the world, and it's a good thing. I'm not against it, but that does not make you wise. We could maybe say it this way, that you uh, can have an education without having wisdom, but you cannot have wisdom in your life and not be the better for it. You can have education in your life and it not help you a bit. But if you have wisdom in your life, it'll make the difference in how your life goes. So we then ask this question. We've asked the question, what does numbering our days have to do with wisdom? Well, it's the prerequisite and the path and the practice of wisdom. But then we have to ask this question. Okay, preacher, that's good. I'm on board. So what is numbering our days? Well, on the plain face of it, it would seem to suggest sitting and counting up the days that we have left. But of course, you and I know that We do not have a crystal ball. And in fact, the Bible explicitly says that no man knows what a day may bring forth. We don't know what's going to be on tomorrow. And so we understand it's impossible for us to sit down and catalog the number of days that we have left in our life. That's not within the realm of human knowledge to be able to do that. Only God would be able to do that for us. But we cannot do that. So then we must ask, if it does not mean that, what does it mean? And I will tell you, I can give you a definition. We've talked about it some, having a sober appreciation and appraisal of the fragility of life. But I think we can rather go to our text and find a better answer than one that I could give you. So what does numbering our days involve in our life? Or how can we number our days and how do we exercise ourselves in this step of wisdom? I want you to notice three things and then I'll be done this evening. Look with me at verse number 8. The Bible says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. In other words, nothing that we do is hidden from God. God knows all things. You've never done anything that God was not aware of. Then verse 9 says, For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a problem for God's creation. We are created by God, we are uh, scrutinized by God, and we are found to be lacking by God. He created us, and He knows us. He knows everything that we have done. And we find that Moses made the statement in verse 9, that in light of that examination, and in light of that divine knowledge of how we live and what we do, all of our days are passed away in thy wrath. Sounds to me like that's a big problem for humankind. And it sounds to me like if a person is going to set his or her life in order, the first thing that they would want to do is seek to remedy that problem of abiding under the wrath of God and God being displeased with our life. If we're going to die at any moment and we could see Him in the next few moments and we know that He's displeased with us, then wisdom would say we should seek to do something about that problem. I'd say this, number one, numbering our days is knowing the priority of our life. The psalmist here, in this case Moses, 
points to what is the most important problem that mankind faces. It is our sin problem and our estrangement from God. If a person understands that the days of his life are limited, that he only has so many days in which to exercise volitional choices and and do things and try to affect and, and, and change the course of his life and the course of his eternity, then wisdom would suggest that what he ought to do instead of getting bogged down in whatever trivialities may exist and orbit around the issues of life, that instead he should focus his attention on what is the chief and singular and preeminent problem that he faces in life. The biggest problem that you and I have in life before we are saved is our sin problem. It's the fact that the God that created us is not pleased with. It's the fact that the God that we answer to, His wrath abides upon us. And the most important problem in a person's life is this problem of a lack of a relationship with God and a lack of a right standing with the Lord. Now, for the lost person, the explanation, the application is very obvious. What the lost person needs to do if they're going to take the first step of wisdom is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Fix that sin problem. They can't fix it. They can come to the Lord and He can fix it. And whatever other problems a person may have in their life. And I was thinking about this a moment ago. Me and Brother Fred were talking about witnessing. How often, Brother Fred, and others could say this as well, do people that you witness to, they've got problems in life. And they want to tell you all about the problems that they have. And you think about so many of them whose lives are consumed by all these lesser problems. They'll talk to you about bills that they can't pay. They'll talk to you about uh, divorce or, or a relationship that's falling apart. They'll talk to you about health problems that they're experiencing. They'll talk to you about relationship problems with the kids or their family. And they want to talk to you about all these different things, all the while ignoring what is the fundamental problem in the human condition, which is their lost situation. Wisdom. This is why, if you've never done anything else wise, if you're born again, when you got born again, it was wise to do. It was a display of wisdom. Because what you did is you got your eyes off of whatever lesser problems may have existed in the realm of your life and instead recognized that the biggest problem you could ever face is your sin problem and you got that took care of first. I would say this, that knowing the priority of our days, it involves the most important problem that we have. But then you say, well, preacher, that's good. And if somebody, if some lost person walked in the church house on a Sunday night, it'd be good for them to hear it. But what does that have to do with me? Well, I would say this. There is an extension of that thought. There is an extension of that truth. You see, what the lost person does in coming to Christ and believing on Him still remains the chief and preeminent purpose in the life of even the saved individual. Not to have our sins forgiven in regards to our position with God and our status with Him. That's dealt with at Calvary. But I would say this, that knowing the priority of our days, it involves the most important problem in our life, but by extension it deals with the most important purpose of our life. And you know what that purpose is? You know what the greatest purpose in your life? I mean, bigger than any financial goals you may have, bigger than any family goals that you may have, bigger than any career goals that you may have, the most important thing wisdom dictates to us, the most important thing in your life is to get right and to be right with God. See, that's what the lost person's doing when they come to Christ. They're getting right with God and they're being right with God. 
But that doesn't change after we're born again. Though the matter of our eternal destiny is settled, and though we are most assuredly a child of God, we still can live a life of disobedience that disrupts our communion with Him. And still the most preeminent responsibility in your life and in my life, and part of knowing our days and understanding how short this life is, is to recognize how important it is that we be right with God and stay right with God. I promise you this, if you knew you'd die tomorrow, if someone was able to walk in the room and tell you, I've I've read the tea leaves, you're going to die tomorrow, amen, then I promise the first thing you'd do is if there was anything in your life that was wrong with God, you'd get it right with God. Whatever, however slight, however small, if there was some area of your life of disobedience, you'd immediately stop and take that to the Lord and ask His forgiveness. Well, that doesn't change just because we don't know the day of our death. It is still wise to say this, I don't know when it'll be, so I want to live right with him day by day. Knowing the priority of our days, it involves the most important problem in our life and the most important purpose in our life. But then doesn't that extend to a third thought? And that's the most important person in our life. You see, when we recognize that the most important thing we can do is get right with God and be right with God, that then positions Christ as the most important person in our life. We can say this, that as long as we please Him, we have succeeded at life. Whatever else you may do, and I'm not saying you need to live a life of, of some monk sitting in a monastery with a vow of silence. There's people I'd recommend a vow of silence for, but not for real spiritual reasons. <laughs> but I am saying this, that in your life, when you recognize that whatever else you may do, whatever other interests you may have, whatever other people in your life that may or may not be pleased with you, that as long as he is pleased that you have done and exercised yourself in wisdom, then you're numbering your days. I would say numbering our days involves knowing the priority of our days. But then look at the end of verse number 9. We have a fascinating phrase that's used. Moses says, we spend our years as a tale that is told. I would say this, that numbering our days, it involves knowing the priority of our days. Centering our life on what is most important. But I would say, number two, that numbering our days involves knowing the finality of our days. Now, Moses does not tell you when you're going to die. He doesn't tell me when I'm going to die. But he does enforce this reality that we're all going to die. And that the life that we have lived and the opportunities that we have faced, that once that time has passed, it is past and it is beyond the reach of human hand. He describes our life in two ways. Number one, he describes it like wealth that is spent. He says we spend our years. We spend our years. The idea being that our years are both occupied with, but also expended in the life that we live. You know, it's sort of like when you go, I don't know if you've ever done this, I have. Have you ever purchased something And before the money was out of your hand, you immediately regretted the purchase you made. It's funny, man. I mean, money feels different when it's sitting in your wallet than it does when it leaves in your hand. Amen. The the value of it somehow increases when you see it leaving your hand. And uh, the fact of the matter is that money, once it is spent, we might be able to earn elsewise. But what is spent, the wealth that is parted with is gone and is beyond our redemption. I know we live in a day free returns and all that, but you just stay in the Bible. Amen. It's like wealth that is spent. It's a precious commodity. And when we spend our wealth, we are making an assessment of value. 
And we are saying to ourselves that whatever I'm about to purchase is worth more to me than everything else that this money could possibly purchase. It's interesting when you go, uh, the people like to drink coffee. Some of y'all I know like to drink coffee. You like to go to these coffee places and you, and, uh, the, no, you're a, you're a dollar McDonald's coffee person, Ken. I know you. Some of y'all go to the Starbucks and the Dunkin' and places like that. And I'm not totally, I mean, I, the, the, if you want ice cream in a cup, you can go to those places and get it. But, um, but the, you go to those places. Have you ever stopped and thought about, you, you haven't because you'll quit going if you do. Do you ever stop and thought about how much it costs before they hand it out the window to you? Have you ever stopped before you said, uh, yes, here is my $9 for that cup of coffee? Have you ever stopped and thought about everything else that $9 could buy in this world? I know it ain't much anymore. But have you ever stopped and thought about everything else that $9 might buy in this world? Me and my wife were coming home the other day, and it was the middle of the day. We were going home, and we were hungry. We had the kids with us. We hadn't eaten anywhere. I told my wife, I said, uh, let's stop and eat somewhere. And um, one of the good things about COVID is every place is terrible to eat at, and it saves us money. Amen? Because <laughs> you don't really want to go to any of them anymore. But we were, we were driving home. We said, where do we want to go? Well, let's go here. No, I don't want to go there. Well, let's go here. No, nah, it's too expensive. Well, let's go here. Let's go that. The, and finally, I looked at her. I said, we're going home, ain't we? She said, yeah, we're going home. I said, why would we go and give them our money and eat garbage? Let's go to the grocery store and buy good food and take it home and eat it. In other words, we made a value assessment. And we looked at it and we said, and it's shocking when you ever think about how much money that we all waste on a daily basis in our lives. What you're saying when you spend that money is you're saying, this is more important to me than anything else that this money could ever possibly buy, both by itself and combined with other wealth. They say, well, preacher, that sounds very miserly and surely you don't maintain such stringent spending habits. No, I don't guess any of us do. I've got my share of foolish purchases. I'm sure that you do as well. But my point is deeper than that. My point is the same reality is true about our life. When you exercise your life and expend it on something, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I want to spend my time doing this more than I would more than anything else that I could possibly do with my life. Because once you spend it, It's gone. Your time cannot be retrieved. It cannot be rescued. It cannot be brought back to you. I know the New Testament talks about redeeming our time, and certainly it's true that we ought to rescue it from the trash heap of wasted days. But once that time is spent, it's like money that's spent. It's gone. You might be able to earn other money, but that money you spent, it is gone forever. It's like wealth that is spent. But then he says this, we spend our years is a tale that is told. He likens it not only to wealth that is spent, but he likens it to words that are spoken. And he says it's almost like the life that we live is the telling of a story. And once it is told, it cannot be untold. You might be able to go in and try to modify and revise, add addendums and appendix to it, and somehow adjust the perspective of it, but at the end of the day, the words that we speak, they are spoken and cannot be gathered back up. Solomon would echo this same thought about words that are spoken uh, being like bread that's cast out onto the water or being like uh, words that are spoken into the wind, that the wind carries them away and they're gone forever. You know, in our life, we need to be reminded that one of these days our life will be over and what it has been will be what it has been. How you spent yesterday, you'll never be able to change. That is the record 
of what you valued in that moment, in that day, and how you invested that time. How you spent today will be settled by the end of the night, and that'll be it. You won't be able to undo it. You won't be able to go back. And I find this, that when you recognize that what you're expending, when you realize that the wealth you spend might be the last you ever have, and the words you speak might be the last you ever speak, when you recognize that there's no scooping them back up and they could provide a commentary on your life and your value system far beyond what they are in that snapshot of time, it makes you appreciate more the things you do. And it also makes you more carefully curate the decisions that you make. He speaks of the finality of our days. But then look at verse 10 and I'll be done. He says, the days of our years are three score years And ten, a score is twenty. So he's saying the days of our years are seventy. If you're above that, you take that up with the Lord. Amen. The days of our years are three score years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score years, yet is their strength labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. Three things that are involved in numbering our days. Numbering our days involves knowing the priority of our days, making sure our life is about things that count and about the most important matters. It involves knowing the finality of our days, knowing that that life once lived cannot be relived and cannot be revised, that our life, however we choose to live it, has a finality about it. It is immutable. It cannot be changed. But then verse 10 reminds us that numbering our days involves knowing the brevity of our day. Say, preacher, what's the difference between finality and brevity? Finality involves the fact that like a stamp that once it's stamped or a document that once it's stamped, it can't be unstamped. It's just what it is, it is. Job said about a man dying that it's like a tree falling in the woods. Wherever it falls, that's where it lands. Hey, wherever we fall, that's where we land. However we live, that's how we're going to die. The finality of our days. But the brevity has to do with how quickly they can and are passing away. We could say this, that the finality of our days has to do with the concept of time. But the brevity of our days has to do with the rapidity or the speed of time. How quickly it's passing. Me and my wife have several times of late commented on how even at 36 years old, life goes faster than it used to. I don't know why that is. I can't explain that phenomenon. I can guess at reasons, but I don't know any more than you do, except just to say that a year don't feel like a year anymore. A month don't feel like a month anymore. A week don't feel like a week. I mean, it feels like we was doing this yesterday, and I know it was a week ago. I mean, it's just like life comes at you faster than it ever did before. And part of knowing our days or numbering our days is understanding that reality and adjusting our life in light. Notice three thoughts that he gives. Number one, he speaks about the limit of our days. The days of our years are three score and ten, 70 years. Moses is here giving an average. He's saying, I found in my experience that most people live about 70 years. Moses would live far beyond that and would die even in full strength. But he's describing what he's seen as a common experience. And he says, if by reason of strength, they be fourscore years. In other words, saying, 
Some of you, you'll, you'll cheat the pallbearers for a few years. Some of you, you'll cheat the funeral home for a few years. Just through sheer force of will, and I don't know, this sort of between the lines, but I think you knew people that I knew, meanness, just sheer, some people just meanness keeps them going, amen? Just sheer meanness, that's my hope, amen? Meanness, he says, you might, but sooner or later, the day of death will come. Speaks about the limit of our days. And this may seem obvious to you, but it's worthy of being said. You and I ain't going to live forever. One way or another, whether it's the Lord's return, whether it's preacher you say, whether it's through the undertaker or the uppertaker, one way or another, we're all going to leave this world. And the time of our life is limited. I think this is part of the reason that people, their disposition changes often as they get into the more seasoned years of life. They get a clearer view of home and of the end of the road, and they're reminded of how precious days are because they just don't have as many of them left. You understand, that's the way value works in an economic system. If you have a bunch of something, it ain't worth much. If you don't have very many left, they tend to be worth more. I remember a few years ago, a couple years ago, the... The, one of the one of the Fed wasn't the chairman of the Fed, but it was one of the governors of the Federal Reserve said the Federal Reserve has unlimited money. That's scary. That means ain't nobody got money. They have unlimited money. They ain't nobody got money. Man, it don't mean anything. Unlimited anything means it takes no value. But the scarcity of a matter increases the value and the price of the commodity. And in our life, recognizing, hey, our days ain't gonna go on forever. I don't know how much time I have. I don't know how much time you have. There may be some of you that you're planning on me preaching your funeral and you'll sing at mine. There may be some of you that you're thinking I'll far outlive you and you'll comfort my family when they put me in a coffin. But I will tell you this, no matter what those times are, there is a limit to them. And that beckons and compels us to a life of, the, of living for the Lord. He speaks of the limit of our days. But then he says this. He says, and if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is there strength? Now, what's he talking about when he says, is there strength? Well, the there is the days or the years that a person may persist beyond what is normal and what is anticipated. And the strength of those years. In other words, yet if by reason of strength, if you can muster strength enough to beat the, the, the pallbearers away for a little longer, What does that amount to? What does it give to you? What does it purchase to you? Yet is their strength labor and sorrow. How many of you have heard the statement, it's a shame that youth is wasted on the young? The idea being this, let's say you manage to live that extra 10 years. If you do, as far as the ease of life, it'll be the worst 10 years that you've lived. It'll be the hardest 10 years that you've lived. That strength will be reserved to labor and sorrow, to difficulty and to challenge and to frustration. And here he's talking about the labor of our days. The strength expended in old age in the last 10 years is labor and sorrow. In other words, we could say it this way. Life is hard and it only gets harder. So serve God now and don't wait. It'll only get harder to do things for God that you want to do. And wisdom would say, use your years now. Because it will only grow increasingly more difficult as the years pass on. Talks about the limit of our days and the labor of our days. But finally, he speaks of the length of our days. 
Here it is, preacher. We've been waiting the whole time. You're going to tell me. You're going to tell me what I need to punch in on that countdown clock on the Internet to tell me when I'm going to die. When am I going to die, preacher? What is the length of my days? How do I number my days? How do I know? Well, here's what the Bible says. It is soon cut off and we fly away. (laughs) I love how the Bible answers things because it rarely gives me the answer I want, but it always gives me the answer I need. And here's what he says. Preacher, uh, when am I going to die? Here's what your Bible says. Soon. Soon. How soon? Well, how soon wouldn't be too soon for you. In other words, the idea is this, that our life, however many days that we may have left, we ought to and wisdom would compel us to spend those days wisely because everybody will die with things they wish they had accomplished. There's not a person in this room, and I've sat by the deathbeds of countless people throughout years of pastoring, and there's not a person in this room that won't go to your deathbed with things that you wish you would have done. I'm not saying you'll go and be racked with regret. I'm not saying you'll go and and be agonized by missed opportunities. Maybe you will, only you and the Lord know that. But I'm saying even if you go to your deathbed in a in a good old age, as the Bible says of some of the Old Testament saints, even if you go and, and like Paul can say, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith, there'll still be things that you'll say, my soul, if I just had another five years, I would have done this. Right now you've got that five years. Right now you've got that ten years. Right now some of you, you've got twenty or thirty or forty Some of you may have months. Some of you may not have tomorrow. But whenever it is, it's too soon for the plans that we all have. So here's what wisdom would say. Wisdom would say that we don't procrastinate. That we don't squander our days. Because soon, our days will be cut off and we'll fly away. Here's how James says it and I'll close. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It's just a vapor. It's like almost like a breath of air. Just a vapor that appeareth for a little while, a little time, and then vanisheth away. So, teach us, Lord. Teach us. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Let's bow together tonight. The altar's open. I want to give you an opportunity, if the Lord spoke to your heart about some matter, to meet Him in the altar and to talk about that. What if the Lord was coming back today or you were going to Him, what area or matter of your life would there be that you'd immediately get right with God? What area of your life have you been putting off talking to the Lord about because you assume you have another week, another year, another ten years? I would say this, wisdom would bring it to the altar tonight and say, I want to get right and be right with God. Father, bless this invitation. It magnify Jesus Christ. We ask it in His name.